standing for the reading of God's Word, reading a couple of selections this evening uh, from Isaiah chapter 51 and then over to Romans chapter 4. Uh, this is the Word of the Lord. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation. For law will proceed from me, and I will make my justice rest as a light of the peoples. My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth. And my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait upon me. And on my arm, they will trust. And then over to Romans chapter 4, the reading of this chapter uh, largely having to do with Abraham and the glory of God's grace in his life. Romans 4 at verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For if we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness, how then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And, the, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of the circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, 
but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him who believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which did not exist as though they did, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Now, this is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, as we turn to your word now for the preached word to our hearts, we would ask that you would guide us in your word, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to us, uh, that he might minister uh, the freshness of application of your spirit to our hearts and lives. Transform us, we pray, O oh God. Uh, give us faith, uh, increase our walk of devotion and godliness to Jesus, and be our help and be our strength, even now in your word, we pray. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask. Amen. A congregation tonight, our focus will be on these last three verses of chapter 4 here in Romans chapter 4, uh, verses 23, 4, and 5. And I'm reminded as we are thinking tonight about that solid rock and that foundation that makes up the Christian life. Uh, I'm reminded of that famous hymn that we sometimes will sing, the church is one foundation, right? You've heard that hymn. The church is one foundation. It's Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven, he came and sought her to be her holy bride. And with his own blood, he bought her and for her life, he died. You know, those words uh, ring true in our hearts, don't they? That indeed... Our God has placed his church upon the foundation and the rock of Christ. He is our sure hope. Now, certainly we know something about foundations in our day, right? Here we are some seven, eight months after the fact of Hurricane Harvey. It's, it's common now for us in our everyday conversation to be talking about a foundation under a home. And the structure of that home and that security and safety of a home in light of the flooding and those who have experienced that, we know something about foundations nowadays. Well, I want to draw your attention to this passage because we're being brought in to see what is that rock, what is that rebar and those forms that are being prepared for us where concrete will be poured. And it's all this imagery of a foundation for our faith, a foundation for our life. It's not by accident that God has brought you here tonight. Because you have to ask the question from a passage like this, how am I building my own life? On what foundation am I living? Where is my faith? You know, the Bible assumes faith in humanity. But the question comes, where is that faith? Is there a solid rock for my daily living? 
Is there a foundation upon which I would live my life and make decisions and, and, and go about the, the fears and the insecurities that I know in life? Maybe it's some area of ministry. That's to say, some area where you're, you're, giving, you're being given an opportunity to reach out to someone, to love someone, care for someone. Upon which foundation will you then venture out and minister and serve? Well, tonight in the passage, we're going to leave, I would trust, with a, a theme ringing in our ears and our hearts. What is our theme here from Romans chapter 4? We're learning to stand in Christ, live in faith, and serve in faith. That's it. Stand in Christ, live in faith, and serve in faith. Now the question, how do we do it? How do we do it? There are three lessons from the passage. Again, our focus will be verses 23, 24, and 25. How do we stand in Christ, live in Christ, and serve in faith? Number one, we need reinforcement from Scripture itself. We need reinforcement from Scripture itself. Number two, we'll look at the centrality of faith. The centrality of faith in Christ. And number three, we'll look at practical obedience. That, too, is the foundation that God calls us to, to live out in his enabling strength, in his enabling strength, practical obedience. So here's the first one. How do we stand in Christ, live in faith, and serve in faith? First of all, reinforcement from the Scripture. Look at verse 23. Watch these words now. Now, it was not written for his, that's Abraham, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. You see, here's one of these passages where the Apostle Paul is moving from all these verses about the life of Abraham, and now he's going to make application to us. He's saying all of these lessons about Abraham's life, that, that character who lived back in the Old Testament days, you know, back in those days of Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all those lessons about Abraham, they've been recorded for Abraham. But guess what Paul is saying? They've not only been recorded for Abraham, but for us. Now, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, that city there in old Italy. And there's a congregation that had been gathered there. And so Paul is saying, these lessons are for you. And Paul is saying the same for us. The application remains. These lessons concerning a life of faith in Christ, a righteous standing before God, hope and strength for a foundation for daily service, these lessons are for us as well. You know, sometimes in the Christian life, we, we hear people will say, you know, I wish God had a word for me. You've heard that, right? I wish God would just speak to me. Paul is doing that right here. We'd be so tempted to think, well, are those lessons for Abraham for me? Are those lessons back for the Old Testament characters for me? Paul's saying they are. God has a word for us. You see, here is the basic lesson that when we start talking about the foundation of our God and walking with our God, here is a basic lesson that Christianity is not built upon man's experience. Christianity is not built upon how we would go along in life. 
You know, the Proverbs say there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's death. Paul is saying to us here, Christianity is built upon the fact that God reveals himself. God doesn't leave us in the dark. God doesn't leave us wondering. God doesn't leave us reflecting upon life experience or my background or my training. Maybe something my parents said to me at one point in my life. Maybe a good counsel that comes alongside of my life. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Christianity is built upon a revealed religion, that which is written. And so, friends, that's why we emphasize the preached word, the taught word. We open our Bibles. We, we want, we want dirty-looking Bibles. We want to use our Bibles because we are basing our lives upon God's promises and commands and directives and exhortations and counsel and warnings and testimony. And this is being pulled right here when we're talking about a right standing with God. We go to him for his standards. We go to him for his provision for righteousness. We go to him for the hope that we have about being solid and on the rock of Jesus Christ. And you see, this is no different then. This is no different when it comes to thinking about a righteous standing with God. Uh, friends, I can remember when I was in my, you know, 16, 17, 8 years of, 18 years of age. That's when I met Peggy in my high school days. You folks know my wife, Peggy. And I, I've been reared in the church. I've been reared in the church. My folks had taken me uh, to, to worship. My mom taught Sunday school for some 30 years. I'd been, I'd been around the things of the Lord. But here I was. I was thinking that it was going to be something of my experience and what, you know, how I'd been raised, how, even how I'd been taught, relying ultimately upon myself. I did not know that God had spoken his word and given counsel about what it means to have the righteousness of God bestowed upon me as a wonderful gift. It was not about me working my way to merit my way to heaven, but God himself revealing himself to me in that the scriptures, the promises of the gospel in Christ Jesus. And that is what Paul is saying. The very same living God who credited to Abraham righteousness according to faith would credit righteousness to us also, if we believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Abraham was not unique. Just as he was justified by faith, so is everyone who trusts in Christ. And you see, this is like our Savior as well. The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world and he put himself under the scriptures. That's right. Our Savior is our Savior because when he came into this world, he, he turned his ear to his father's voice, listening to his father's will. That's why he will say, I only do that which indeed the father has commanded me to do. That's why Jesus himself, in heeding scripture, he's out in that wilderness scene. Remember that wilderness temptation scene? And what happens in that scene? Satan seeks to tempt him. But our savior refuses that voice of Satan. And he gives himself to his father. He tells Satan, it is written. It's the same. That's why we need the Lord Jesus Christ. He came into the world, heeding his father's voice, living for us a righteous life. I ask you here tonight, is your faith in Christ? Are you resting in Jesus? Why? Because he's your obedience. 
Are you trusting in Christ? So here is this first lesson. When we start talking about the rock and the foundation and the hope we have, we go back to the Bible itself. We go back to the scriptures themselves to be reinforced about the strength that we need and the, and the, and the strength that we need regarding truth and forgiveness and a walk with the Lord. Paul is saying what was written for Abraham is written for us. We follow our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He himself gave himself to the scriptures. We follow Christ, for he is our Savior who gave himself to the scriptures. And we do the same, heeding our Father's voice and his will for our lives and his assessment. So I ask you again tonight, on, on what foundation are you building? Are you building on Christ? Are you being reinforced by scripture to build on Christ? Then the second place. Secondly, there is the centrality of faith in Christ. How will this foundation be solid? How, how will this foundation be that which indeed is needful to meet our needs and necessary for our guide in everyday life? We are being called the centrality of faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 on into 25. It goes on to say that it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised Jesus up, Jesus our Lord up from the dead. We're being called to faith. We're being called to the centrality of faith. It's one thing to know that it's been written. It's another thing now where Paul is emphasizing, where is your faith? We're being summoned here to the centrality of trusting in Jesus Christ, who has been raised from the dead. So in what ways does Paul the apostle reach for the two-by-fours? In what ways is he now going to pour concrete, this biblical concrete, into these forms to build this rock foundation about the centrality of faith in Christ. Let's make some observations here about these verses. There is no question that, that at the end of verse 24, there is a promise. What's the promise? That the imputation of righteousness will be ours. He says how? To those who believe in him who raised up Jesus. Let's go on, another observation. There are these words here for us in verse 24 and 25. Now watch it, these are words of description. These are not words of a command. There are no command words here. The Bible is describing the provision of God who is our Father and the provision that he's made of his Son for our salvation. So again, note that. We're being summoned to faith. How so? God's describing for us the provision that he's given to us in his Son. Again, we're being steered clear from a works righteousness. We're being called to place our faith in who Jesus is and what he has done. But then next, this leads us to an emphasis on God's actions. What's being, what's being emphasized here would be God's actions on the what and the how of salvation. What am I saying? Paul is describing for us how the righteous one, our God, makes the unrighteous righteous. <laughs> There's an emphasis on what God is doing here. He's the righteous one. And what is it that he does? What, that, what does he do to take the unrighteous and make them fit for righteousness? The emphasis is on God's actions. We're being called to faith. And then one last observation. Note the two subject areas that come in verse 25. Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. These two subject areas are being emphasized once again because we're being summoned to the centrality of faith in Christ. 
We must trust in Jesus. That is, he is our rock. He is our anchor. He is our foundation. He is that solid foundation upon which the church would build its life and faith. So Paul is calling us to the centrality of faith in Christ. Now, one more area here on these two verses. Notice here the order that Paul describes Jesus' work for us. Notice this order for us. It says at the end of verse 24, he was raised up. We are to believe in him who raised up Jesus. Then look at 25 now. He was also delivered up because of our offenses. And then the end of verse 25. He was raised because of our justification. Do you see kind of a pattern here? There is resurrection, death, resurrection. Resurrection, who was raised. Death, who was delivered for our offenses. And then again, he was raised because of our justification, resurrection. Why this pattern of resurrection, death, resurrection? I don't know exactly why the pattern. Why this emphasis in terms of focusing in on the work of Christ? One who was raised, one who, was, who, who, was, who died, and then one who was raised. Why this pattern? Not sure. But here's what we do know. Repetition underscores emphasis for us. So what is Paul doing? Paul is underscoring Christ's resurrection. Why? Because Jesus and his uniqueness as the Son of God, death could not hold him down. <laughs> Paul is saying, sure, we can talk about our offenses. He does that the first part of 25. There's sufficient teaching about our sin. We know we have a knowledge of our sin and guilt and shame. True enough. But Paul is emphasizing, let's emphasize the resurrection. Why? Because that places the uniqueness upon the Son of God who indeed conquers sin, who indeed conquers hell and judgment and the penalty and the power of sin. Here is our triumphal, conquering uh, Savior. We're going to emphasize his person and work about his conquering, triumphal way. That's what Paul is saying. So now the question, is your faith in the resurrected Christ? Are you trusting in Jesus? What is so important about that? Because of his uniqueness. He is the very second person of the Godhead. Fully God. Fully man. He came into this world to live a perfect life. He went to Calvary's cross to suffer the penalty that we deserve for our sins. God accepts his life of being the substitute for our sin because he's the sinless one. And he goes to the cross to shed his blood, indeed, to take in his body the penalty that we deserve. Paul is emphasizing the uniqueness, the uniqueness, the uniqueness of the Son of God. And he was raised on the third day. And that's why Paul then will bring in this, le this lesson about the imputation of the righteousness of Jesus Christ where all of our sins are pardoned. We sometimes use the word justification. You see, and to ask about justification is to know that justification is God's act of free grace 
where he pardons all of our sins and he accepts us as righteous in his sight. And it's only because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. And this gift is received by faith alone. That's from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Kind of, uh, it's, a, it's a guide summary of theology, question 33 for us. And you see, what Paul is dealing with in Romans 3 and Romans 4 is that he's elaborating on how God remains righteous and true regarding his justice. He does not lower or do away with his holy standards, and at the same time, he provides the way of putting sinners in the right with himself. And the word he uses here is to credit or to reckon, and that is to put to one, one's account. It's a declaration that God has changed our status before him. Why? Because he credits Jesus' perfect righteousness to our account. And you see, at the very end of this chapter here, Paul is giving us a wrap-up statement. He is saying, fundamentally, what is the Christian life about? It's about resting and trusting in Jesus Christ. Because Christ came as the righteous one, gave himself at Calvary's cross, was buried in the tomb for the three days, and then raised for our justification. So back to the question. Why do we emphasize the centrality of faith in Christ concerning that rock and that foundation for daily life? Because Christ, who is God's provision for our sin, who is the atoning one to give his life at the cross for our sins, is also the one who ever lives before his Father, who himself has been raised for our justification. And that's why you have these stories in the Gospels, friends. You have these stories in the Gospels about how Jesus Christ knows that his Father's favor rests upon him. You remember there at his baptism, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. <laughs> and that's at the very beginning of his earthly ministry. And even down near the end of his earthly ministry, that same kind of language is echoed again. This is my son. Listen to him. The point being, the focus is on Jesus. His death is a sin-defeating death. His resurrection is a vindication that indeed God is pleased with the one who came in the flesh to be our Savior, to be our Lord. And because he is raised, the man, woman, boy or girl, who places their faith in Christ, that pardon is fully theirs and that acceptance is fully theirs as well. And that's why my wife Peggy, bless her heart, she told me in those high school days, Mark, I don't know, she said, I don't know all of the lessons of the gospel, but this I do know, your faith must be in Christ. I had not heard that as a little boy growing up. I'd always thought that it was by the works of the law that a man would be justified. But Paul has told us both in Romans and Galatians, it is not according to the works of the law that any man would be justified. It is only by the very work of Jesus Christ. And thus there is the centrality of faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. His death was sin and judgment taking. His resurrection was vindication securing. 
And how is this gift received? It's received by faith. That's why the apostle says, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. You see, Romans is securing for us that rock-solid hope. I close now with this last point. We're also being summoned from the passage to practical obedience. How will we stand in Christ? How will we live in faith? How will we serve in faith? Not only do we need that reinforcement of Scripture, God's truth, not only do we need to rehearse the centrality of faith in Christ, our acceptance is in the beloved of Christ. But now here, we are being told about the enabling strength of the Spirit for obedience. Enabling strength for obedience. What do I mean? This whole passage is a wrap-up of chapter 4. These three verses is wrapping up chapter 4. In this passage, there is a rehearsal of all this chapter, I should say. There's a rehearsal in chapter 4 about Abraham's life. And that's to say, to see Abraham is to see him as a man of faith, one who's not trusting himself, but trusting in the Lord. This foundation work that Paul has in view is receiving and resting upon God's gospel promises in Christ. Now think about this with me. There are basically four episodes in the life of Abraham that are briefly re re rehearsed here. Four episodes. First of all, there's that calling from the Ur of the Chaldees. If you think of this Mediterranean map with me right now, way back over here is Mesopotamia, the Ur of the Chaldees. And Abraham is called out of the Ur to come over here to the Promised Land. This is the Mediterranean Sea. And so there's a calling to Abraham to come to the Promised Land. He's being summoned in faith to follow God's voice and his will. But then he promises Abraham a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of plenty, a land of blessing. But then further, there's another promise to Abraham that he will have a son. And this, this son will come from the union of Abraham and Sarah, his wife. And then lastly, there is the scene of Mount Moriah. That's not right here in Romans 4, but Hebrews chapter 11 rehearses that scene. Remember, at Mount Moriah, Abraham is being tested. The Bible tells us Abraham is being tested by taking Isaac, his only son, to go and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. So what's the point of all of this? Here is an Old Testament saint who is walking by faith, trusting in God's word. Walking in faith in all these episodes, whether he's called out of the Ur of Chaldees, whether he's being summoned to go to that land of plenty and blessing, whether he's being reminded, Abraham, from your very loins will come a son named Isaac, or whether he's to indeed go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. He's being called to faith, faith in the Lord. Abraham walked with God in that he gave his life to God's promises. We're being summoned to the same. How would we walk in enabling strength from God? By walking in the promises of God. And how do we know that those promises are safe, secure, and sure to be relied upon because these verses, 23, 24, and 25, are rehearsing for us final things. 
Final things, Mark? Yes, final things. Paul himself a Jew. Paul writing to Gentiles in Rome and also Jewish Christians in Rome. Paul is writing about the days where the final things would happen. What are those days where these final things would happen? The days of the final things are days of judgment. Days of sacrifice for the penalty of sin. The final things of the last days are where there indeed would be death itself. Someone would undergo death so that pardon could be granted. Paul would be writing about the final things in the last days about resurrection. You see, the typical Jew, the typical Jew in the Old Testament period would be looking far down into history on the last day when there would be death for sin, penalty for sin, judgment for sin, pardon and forgiveness, and guess what? Resurrection and everlasting life. Paul is saying, those things have occurred now. (laughs) How do we know that God's promises are sure, sealed to us? How can we walk in those promises with that enabling grace of his spirit to walk with him and have assurance? God is saying, the pardon that was only for the future, forgiveness only for the future, judgment that would come on the last day in the future, resurrection power, newness of eternal life only for the future, it's all been brought back in to our daily living. Paul is writing of these last things, speaking of Abraham. And Abraham walked with God in faith because there was the security and the surety that on that last day, there would be pardon and security and faithfulness and hope and promise. Pardon of sin, judgment would pass, resurrection would be his. And Paul is saying, those wonderful gifts those wonderful graces have been ushered in today's life. Right now, by being united to Christ, we have pardon. Being united to Christ, we have life. Being united to Christ, we have forgiveness. Being united to Christ, we have resurrection. So what will you do this week with the great commission upon your life? How will you serve? How will you speak? How will you step out in faith? Will you do so upon the rock and the anchor of Jesus? He goes with you, Good Shepherd Church. He goes with you as you live upon that solid rock foundation. And in his resurrection strength, you can go to your neighbors. In his resurrection strength, you can tell him freely about your sin and your weakness and your insecurities. In that resurrection strength in Christ, where you're sensing hopelessness and you know the hopelessness of a neighbor or a friend, you can open your mouth in testimony and say, though I feel this weakness, though I know this insecurity, Christ is my security, Christ is my hope, and this grace gift of salvation is mine. Will you tell your neighbors that wonderful, glorious story this week that Christ is the rock, the solid foundation for our hope? Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, would you indeed uh, take us that we might uh, see your word applied to our hearts and lives and that we might give ourselves to you. Uh, You are our living God. Uh, You have provided Jesus, who is our righteousness. You provided Jesus, indeed, who is our resurrection. May we serve the Lord with gladness, and may we do all things for your honor and for your glory. Take us, we pray, and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.